It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Accelerate. I couldn't be more amped up to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Bob Berg, author of the best-selling book, The Go-Giver, a little story about a powerful business idea. Yeah, I read The Go-Giver over the Christmas holidays and it's this parable that lays out the five laws of stratospheric success. And it's an interesting and valuable book, especially for this age that seems to be so me-centric, right? Because this book lays out a path to success in life as well as in business that is predicated on giving, on serving, on placing the needs and the interest of others before your own. And this at a time when so much focus is being placed on the individual and social media and sharing and selfies and so on. So the author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg, is here to help us sort out what this means for you and your success. So Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. Great to be with you. Oh, well, thanks for joining me. And tell us a little bit about you. How'd you get your start in business? Well, began as a uh, broadcaster, first started in radio and then television. I was, uh, I think when I was 24 years old, I was the uh, late night news guy for a, a very small ABC affiliate in the Midwest. Uh, I was really kind of a, well, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got, a, you've got a broadcast voice. Well, the voice was okay, but uh, and I could read the news, but I certainly wasn't a journalist by any means. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really understand the news, and at that time, I, I didn't really care. And uh, I think I was probably <laughs> intuitively a bit too positive for the medium anyway. My idea of a good newscast opening uh, would have been something like, Good evening, everyone. I'm Bob Berg in the news tonight. Everything's great. <laughs> no one died. No, no, go to sleep, go to bed. We'll let you know if something comes up. Right. And so it was, it was very soon that I found myself no longer in broadcasting. Mm -hmm. And I began I, I, what I call graduated into sales. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenge was I had no background or experience in, in sales. And so I floundered for a while. Eventually, I walked into a bookstore and I, I saw a book uh, titled How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. Great book. And, exactly. And, uh, by, of course, now it's a classic. You know, this is 35 years ago. It had really, I think, just just come out. And yeah, Pretty much, but it was one of the first sales books that I read. Yeah, yeah. And the, the title itself gave me encouragement, you know, because I'm thinking, what the art of said there's an art to this there's a, a way to do it other than just knocking on doors making cold calls and telling people about your product there's and, no art uh, it's just a numbers game right and so i got his book and i began to really study it i as as tom said i practiced drilled and rehearsed which is what he talks about doing and uh, within a few weeks my sales began to go through the roof now the the interesting thing to me about this is that there was really no significant difference in in me uh, from when I bought the book to three weeks later yet my sales were now a lot better so what was the what was the the difference maker I had a system I had a methodology for for doing something and I personally define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. In other words, if it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know that all you need to do is A, and you'll get the desired result of, of B. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, you know, and I know, of course, that's what you teach as you counsel and coach people. And, and uh, you know, I began to, to really make a study of sales. Uh, I became a huge fan of Zig Ziglar, who made a huge difference in my life. Right. And uh, yeah, I began to really study it. Eventually, I worked my way up to a, a sales management position in, a, in another co- uh, company. What were you, and, what were you uh, selling? Started out selling media advertising, radio and television advertising time. And then I started selling uh, uh, solar energy hot water heaters to homeowners. Oh, in the and early days of solar. The very early days. And it was a, a, it was a high ticket, one call uh, type of situation. And, and it's really where I really learned how to sell. Um, it, it was, and it was very enjoyable. I just, I fell in love with selling because one part of, of selling is the personal development that goes into it. And that's when I began reading the books like how to win friends and influence people by mm-hmm. Carnegie and think mm-hmm. and grow rich by Hill, Hill and the magic of thinking big by Dr. Schwartz and, uh, psycho cybernetics by <laughs> Maxwell Maltz, you know, all these great, great books. The selling was the, the outward successful part, outwardly successful, but really you had to build yourself on the inside first. And, and I, and I just love the whole, uh, the whole idea of it. So how did that then lead to writing The Go-Giver? Well, I began uh, teaching other people what was working for me and, and began a career as a professional speaker. Uh, my first book was Endless Referrals, Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales, which was a how-to book on how to cultivate the know, like, and trust relationships that lead to more qualified prospects and and certainly more referrals. Um, and it was a you know very successful book, and it's in its third third uh, revised edition now. Last one came out in I think two thousand five. But um, I but I'd always throughout the years been in, uh, enjoyed reading business parables, uh, starting with the the traditional ones such as um, uh, the greatest salesman in the world by Ogmandino, right, and right, the richest man in Babylon by Classen, and those classics. And then you had, uh, oh, and in the early '80s, I think it was, you had the One Minute series by uh, uh, Doctors Blanchard and Johnson. Right, they're trying to come out about that time, right? The One Minute right. Salesperson, the One, one minute, minute Sales Manager, One Minute Sale, exactly. And uh, and then of course, uh, Doctor uh, Johnson had Who Moved My Cheese, and uh, Doctor Blanchard had a whole bunch of other ones, and there were and there were many, and I just I I just love them. And you could get a, a great lesson through a story, and and there you know there's a real connection with the story. There's the old saying. There's the old saying in sales that um, facts tell, stories sell. And and, and I think that's a, a great point. And it sounds good because it rhymes. But I think really what it is is that stories connect. And once you have the connection, that interpersonal connection, then you can sell. And, and I think that's what a good business parable does. And so I thought, you know, I'd love to take the basic idea of uh, endless referrals, which is developing those know you, like you, trust you feelings toward you and others. How? By placing their interests first, by having their best interest at heart, uh, by understanding that it's all about finding ways to communicate value as others understand that value to be. And uh, so I, I had the idea in my head for the, the book and the title. I sketched out some characters, but as soon as I began writing, I realized it was really outside my strength zone to write a parable. Not outside my comfort zone, though it was that, but I'm not worried about that. It was outside my strength zone. In other words, it's one thing to write a how-to book. That, you, know, you just write down what you know. Uh, it's another thing to write a work of fiction, which the go-giver 
while based on proven principles, would still be a work of fiction. So sure. for, yeah, fortunately, I, I knew John David Mann. I had never met him at that time. But uh, but he was the editor in chief of a magazine I used to write for, and I knew John to be a brilliant editor, and I also knew he was ghost uh, writer of a, a couple other books that sold really big, and people within that specific niche knew John was a genius and a fantastic writer. So I asked him uh, if he would uh, if he would be the lead writer and storyteller and, and collaborate with me in this. And when I say I asked him, I mean I pleaded with him. Uh, to right. do so because <laughs> I knew what he could do with this and, and uh, fortunately he said yes and so we collaborated on it and uh, you know it's been a fortunately a successful uh, successful uh, project well as I mentioned my introduction it's, it's a great book and everybody should take well, the you. time to, to read this book because it has you know not just your five stress the laws of stratospheric success but other valuable lessons in there as well and one I thought was a really interesting sort of the guiding principle of the book which and I'm going to quote from it said Ultimately, the world treats you more or less the way you expect to be treated, which I think is is a great way to sort of start that that discussion in that book. Is is why don't you tell us what you meant by that? Sure. And and when we say that the world basically treats you the way you expect it, we don't mean that in the magical sense. You know what I'm saying? Oh, if you just think hard enough that the world will be good to you, it will be good to you. It's not that. It's that when you expect the world to treat you well, <laughs> when you expect good things. You act in that way. You act with gratitude because these good things are happening. Mm -hmm. And when you act with gratitude, people basically respond to you. This is why I often say that expecting someone to be nice to you or kind to you or expecting someone to be helpful doesn't change them. It changes you. And that's what changes them. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you if you go in expecting someone to be a certain way, uh, in a good way, uh, you expect right. them to be easy to work with or helpful or what have you, you go in there with gratitude that they are and you like them better. And when you communicate to someone that you like them, how do they feel about you? Typically, they like you, too. It's difficult to not like someone who likes you. And, and so while that's a very basic way of saying that, that's pretty much how it works. Right. And it really sets the stage for your golden rule of business, which, again, sort of quoting you, if just a little bit of a paraphrase, is that all things being equal, people do business with and refer business to both people, people they know, both know and like and trust, right? Exactly. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's no, there's no faster, more powerful or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by stepping outside yourself, uh, moving from what we call an I focus or a me focus to an other focus, looking for ways to, as, as Sam, one of the mentors in the story told Joe, the protege, uh, looking for ways to actually make your win about the other person's win. Right. And, and please understand there's absolutely nothing, uh, self-sacrificial about that in any way. It is good business to do this. Hey, you know, and I, I often say this whenever I, whenever I speak at a sales conference, and I, I don't say it in a dogmatic fashion, but in a way that, uh, that you know, we all sort of agree, and that is that nobody is going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money. They're not even going to buy from you because you think you have the best product or service in the world and that it would really help them. They're only going to buy from you because they see it as being in their best interest to do so. 
right. that's you know that's the way it should be. That's the only reason why they should be. That's where why in a free market based economy where where no one is forced to do business with anyone else, uh, it's it's incumbent upon the salesperson to be able to focus on the other person, to focus on providing value to them, to look for. And how do you do that? Well, you ask questions and you listen. And you demonstrate that your job is not to just make a sale. Your job is to provide value to them. Right. And that's how they're going to feel good about you, know, like, trust, and respect you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you talk about, you know, people act in their own Mm self-interest, which is understandable. They should. But as a salesperson, your self-interest is not about you and making yourself the center of the transaction. It's about making the customer the center of the focus. Exactly. It's it's actually in your best self-interest to make it about their self-interest. Exactly. And it needs to be genuine. It needs to be authentic. All right. So let's talk about the five laws. And so the first one, the five laws of stratospheric success that you talk about in the book and describe in the story is the law of value, that your true worth yeah. is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. So yeah, tell us about that. Sure. And when you first hear that, it sounds a bit counterintuitive, almost counterproductive. Give more in value than I take in payment? Uh, how am I supposed to stay in business? You know, it sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy, right? Give more in value than you take in payment. Uh, so we, we simply have to understand the difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's, uh, it's finite. It is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something, to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, what have you, that brings so much worth to that person that they will willingly exchange their money for it and be ecstatic that they did while you make a very healthy profit? Uh, On a very basic level, we can take uh, the example of an accountant who you hire to do your taxes. And this accountant charges you, we'll just name a round figure, $1,000. That's his, his fee, or literally his mm-hmm. price, $1,000. So what value does he give you, Andy, in exchange for this $1,000? Well, first, through his years of experience, his study, through his focus on you and learning your business and learning what you need, what you want to accomplish, he's able to save you well over $5,000 in taxes, Uh, He saves you countless hours of time, freeing you up to do what you would rather be doing or more qualified to be doing and and can do more productively. He also provides you and your family with the security and peace of mind of knowing what you're doing correctly. Right. Right. So, So, Yeah, exactly. So we see here that, again, while price is finite, value is both concrete in terms of that $5,000 tax savings. It's pretty easy to get our arms around that, but also conceptual in terms of that peace of mind, which we know is probably more valuable to us than the uh, money that we've saved. So what he did is he gave you well over $5,000 in value or use value in exchange for a $1,000 price or cash value. So, so you feel great about it, right? And he made a very, very healthy profit, which he should. And that profit is the result of his being focused not on his fee, but on serving you. And this is why we say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning, which means nothing more than that the value must come first 
And the money you receive is simply a very natural and direct result of the value you provided. Yeah, and I, I would take that even a step further and say that, that when you're qualifying a prospect, uh, you, know, you have to talk about value, right? You have to be able to communicate what the value is of what you are selling in order to find out whether they're really a qualified prospect for what, you're, what you are selling. Well, the, yes, and, and this is really such a key because remember, the, the uh, technology has really leveled off the playing field. Exactly. So, so we've become almost a, a commoditized economy uh, in which, you know, I mean, most things work nowadays, right? And there's not a, a real lot of difference <laughs> between, mm-hmm. between TV sets or between accountants or between, you know, there can be a little bit, but not much. And so what happens is, you know, uh, when a, a prospective customer or, or client, when they see no significant value in the product or service itself, what's going to come down to who has the lowest price? price? And I often say, unless your last name is Walmart, uh, trying to make low price your unique selling proposition is not a good idea. And, and so what, what happens is if we try and sell on low price, if we sell on price, we're a commodity. When we sell on value, we're a resource. So what we need to do is go above and beyond that, uh, that the intrinsic value of the product or service, which, again, our competitors also have, and we need to be that additional value. We do this, well, we can communicate value, that additional value in probably hundreds of ways, but they tend to come down to five what we call elements of value, and they are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that in the selling process, uh, including before, during, and after, that we can communicate those elements of value, that's the degree that we absolutely you know, are, ten, are nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. We take price out of the conversation. Right. And as you talked about it, really, and I actually I gave a webinar on this this morning, is that, uh, is that you're today when there are so many products in a marketplace and you know, competitors are basically indistinguishable, indistinguishable in the eyes of the buyer is that it's really your intangibles mm-hmm. that win the business for you. Exactly. Exactly. And so being able to convert your intangibles into tangible value really becomes the secret to winning. Mm-hmm. So we talked the first law, the law of value. Second law is the law of compensation. Your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. Uh, Yes. So where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives you touch with that exceptional value, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. Uh, The accountant in the first example, again, did a great job of giving more in value than he took in payment. So if you're his client, the chances are you're very happy with him. Mm -hmm. You would do business with him again and you would refer him to others. Uh, and his other clients most likely feel the very same way. So our accountant is very quickly amassing what we call an army of personal walking ambassadors. And as he continues to add that kind of exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, his income will continue to grow and grow. See, in, in Nicole Martin, one of the mentors in the story, the one mm-hmm. we call the CEO, she told Joe, the protege, that law number one, uh, the law of value, as important as it is uh, – it, it's not enough in and of itself to make a great income because law number one represents only your potential income, the value you provide. Law number two is all about the number of lives you impact. 
And that's so key. This is why developing a referral-based business is so important because referred prospects are easier to set the appointment with because obviously you're going in on borrowed influence. Uh, price is less of an issue with a referred prospect. Doesn't mean it's a non-issue or not an issue, but it's certainly less of one. So you're able to focus on selling on value rather than low price. Uh, with a referred prospect, it's simply easier to complete the transaction or close the sale. Uh, again, borrowed trust uh, or what we call vicarious experience because right this person to whom you're presenting they may not have done business with you before but someone they know like and trust has and given you their seal of approval and perhaps the best reason of all the biggest benefit of a referral based prospect is they are already of the mindset that that's how you do business because that's how they met you so in their world in their paradigm uh, in in their belief system you meet new prospects through referral, you sell on value rather than price, you complete the transaction, and you receive referrals as a natural part of the process. Right. Okay, so law number three serves as an extension of that. We talked about the law of influence, is that your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interest first. And here's where you had brought up the concept of this army of personal walking ambassadors. Yeah. Well, and, and to many people, this, this law sounds uh, counterproductive itself. And yet you look at the greatest leaders, the top influencers, certainly the most profitable salespeople, and this is simply how they run their lives and conduct their business. They're always looking out for the other person. They're always looking for ways to add value to the lives of others. And uh, and again, not, and it's so important to, to you know, we discussed this earlier, not in a self-sacrificial way. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. You're not being a martyr. Uh, it's doing so in a way that builds everyone, that helps everyone in the process. And we're talking about people who are your prospective customers. We're also talking about people who are your potential referral sources and other people whose lives you can you can benefit. And when you do this, you're planting seeds of goodwill in such a way that people feel great about you, right? They know, like, and trust you. They want to be a part of your life. They want to be a part of your business. You become that go-to person. You become that center of influence. Yeah, and think about the words for people who are listening to the show. Think about the words that are being used here in the last couple laws, or really the first three laws we can call them. But, you know, in law number two of compensation, we talk about impact, right? The impact of how people, number of people you serve and how well you serve them and influence, you know, your influence. That's all being centered outside yourself. It's not about you. It's not about, as we talked about in the introduction, it's not being about being me-centric. It's about being other-centric, as you talked about. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I believe that great leadership is never about the leader. Uh, great influence is never about the influencer, and great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. It's always about the other person. It's about everyone whose lives you choose to add value to. Uh, you know, in a sense, it goes back to Dale Carnegie and his fantastic book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And what I believe was Mr. Carnegie's underlying premise in that book, and we we alluded to this a little bit earlier, is where he wrote ultimately – People do things for their reasons, not our reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's incumbent upon us, upon us to not make it about ourselves, <laughs> but instead to make it about that other person. Yeah. What's in it for me is the question that customers answer. Uh, exactly. And Absolutely. you need to understand what the answer to that question is. If you're working with this person, and you have to, because if you want to serve them, 
you need to know what that is. You need to be able to ask the questions to find out what that is that's in it for them. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, Andy. When I talk about sales, I, I define selling as simply discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. That's what selling is in a nutshell. Yeah, no, it's it's a great description. I mean, I I I, I simplify it even more. I I use a quote that uh, I saw from Jeff Bezos. You know, he says uh, when he talked about selling, he said, you know, we don't we don't make money when we sell things. We make money when we help customers make purchase decisions. Mm, isn't that so true? And that that simplifies it right there. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. here to help you make a decision. Yeah, and that's it. That's what sales is. That's a service. Yes, it is. It's a yes, service it you're providing to somebody. And that's the lesson that salespeople need to learn. Managers need to learn. It's not about some, the selling. It's not something you do to somebody. It's something you do with them. Yeah, with, yeah exactly. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting, too, because when you think of it, the, the old English root of the word sell is salan, which meant to give. So when you're selling... You're, you're literally giving. Now, someone might say, well, isn't that just uh, semantics? Well, I don't, I don't think so, and here's why. Let's say you're in the selling process, okay? You have a, a prospective customer, prospective client in front of you, and you're in the selling process. Uh, when you're selling, what exactly are you giving? I suggest you're giving time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and ultimately value. And so a, a professional salesperson should be very proud that that's what they are doing because by selling, they are giving. Right. And I think, I think getting back to this definition in the old English is, is I think part of the reason it's about giving and is, you know, you look at the early days where commerce started, they weren't exchanging money. People were exchanging surplus, right? Right. I had, I had, I grew too much of this particular crop. You know, as I'm evolved from a subsistence farmer, I grew too much of this. I need to get rid of it. Here, you could benefit from having it. What do you have that that I might want? Mm-hmm. And so they were giving. And you think about it in what terms you use is that if you're selling and you think what you're getting back from the customer is money, then you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. As you talk about in your first book is you're getting a referral. That's the value. The money is not the value. The value is the referral. Yeah. So, you know, it's a it's a great way to reframe uh, because I find a lot of people in sales, they're they have a discomfort with sales because, well, because of all the the, the bad uh, um, because of the reputation, right, of salespeople sure. that, sure. that that people have. Uh, uh, and I think it, it comes down to uh, the reasoning being that most people confuse being a salesperson with being something else. See, when people say, well, selling is about trying to convince someone to buy something they don't <laughs> want or need, that's not selling. That's called being a con artist. Right. That has nothing to do with professional selling. But unfortunately, you know, the, the world sees it a little differently, and that's just how it's uh, – uh, but, you know, when you're, a, when you're a good professional salesperson, your clients love you. Yeah, well, I – Because you're I, helping them. Right. I, I tell the story, but I've – Oftentimes in my career and working with clients has helped them build their sales teams by bringing non-sales types, technical people, engineers and so on into the sales force because they have a certain domain expertise that can help mm-hmm. the customers. And those people always have this lack of comfort, this discomfort, as you talked about, because you know, the impression, the, 
the stereotypes about sellers, uh, you mm-hmm. know, forcing people to buy things. And I convinced them to try it by saying, look, no, this is a service. You're helping them make a decision. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not forcing them to do anything. You just answer their questions, help them ask the right questions, help them make a decision. And it's really effective for people once they get that orientation right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Harry Brown, who was really one of my one of my great heroes, uh, he said so many salespeople will ask the question, well, how do I motivate a person to buy? And he said, well, the, you know, the good news is you don't have, first of all, you can't, and you don't have to motivate anyone to buy. They're already motivated. Your job is to find out what they're motivated by. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so long as your product or service can fulfill that need of what they're motivated by, well, now, now you've got your customer. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, we're going to, the last two laws, the law of authenticity and the law of receptivity, we're going to let people go read that in the book. Because <laughs> okay. we're going to move into the last segment of the show where I've got some questions I ask all my guests. And um, one requires a little thought, and the others are sort of rapid fire, spur stream of consciousness type questions. So, are you ready? Well, I will do my best. All right. So, here, the first one is a hypothetical scenario. For you. You're a new sales leader that's been hired from outside a company to come into the company and help them get unstuck. You know, the sales have just stalled out and they're mm-hmm. sort of stuck. So, what two things would you do in your first week on the job? That would have the biggest impact. Well, the the first one is I would ask the question, what are you focusing on right now? And the chances are good that they're focusing on sales. <laughs> and when I say that, they're focused on making the sale. And when I say that, I mean they are scared because they are not making sales, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and so the first thing we would do, then the second thing is is the action step, and that is get the focus off yourself. Let's talk about how we can best go about focusing on our prospective customers. What's the best way we can discover what they want, need, or desire? And let's that, so let's, in other words, let's change the very frame of where we are and what we're looking to do. Okay, good answer. I like it. Thank All you. right, so some rapid fire questions for you here. What's the most powerful sales tool you have personally? in your own sales efforts. Uh, are you looking for a, like a, like an a, attribute for your, of yourself? Oh, I would say it's, it's, uh, my ability to connect with others. Okay. So what's one tool or application that you use for managing your sales that you can't live without? Well, we use Infusionsoft, but I've got to say, I have no idea how to use it. My business partner, <laughs> Kathy Tajanel, who is a, a tech whiz and, and just so fantastic with that, she's actually the person who, who handles that, but, right. but she, uh, she loves it. Okay. Who's your sales role model? Uh, in life, it would be my dad because he's got, to me, he has always been the best when it comes to people skills, which is what selling is all about. And what I would say is this, and this, this to me embodies my dad, the single greatest people skill is a highly developed and authentic interest in the other person. And so to me, that's what my dad, uh, my mom too. It's just the dad is, you know, I'm like my dad in the way that we're both more in the public, you know, when he was, when he had his business and my business more in the public, uh, the public limelight, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I always so admired how he was so authentically interested in others and how people just absolutely loved him. I've never had that kind of ability near to the level that my dad has, but I've always worked at that. So I would say when it comes to selling, 
he is my hero in that in that way. But there's lots of other people who I've learned from in terms of sales. When it comes to people like today, Anthony and Areno, and uh, people, of course, like Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins and mm-hmm. the Brian mm-hmm. Tracys and the uh, the the um, you know. Uh, Andrea Waltzes and the, just so many great, great people out there. I almost hate to name names because I, I feel like I'm going to leave someone out because I've benefited by so many people. Uh, Jeff Shore uh, to me is one of the the best uh, today at teaching sales. Um, there's so many out there that I get to learn from. I realize I'm not being rapid fire here, so I no, apologize. no, it's fine. We're, that's but there's good. just so, so many, so many great ones from whom I learn. All right, so we'll narrow that down just a little bit. Is is besides your own books, what's one book every salesperson should read? I would say that Harry Brown's book. It's called "The Secret of Selling Anything." Now, I, I don't like the title. He actually didn't name that title. The book was was published posthumously. Uh, okay, he had, he had he had died, and and his his widow found two manuscripts that he wrote in the 1960s that he never published. And so she uh, uh, gave them to a publisher who published this. I think they titled it. It is, to me, the best, most fantastic book on selling because you know what it's really about? It's about understanding human – it's about understanding human nature. Mm-hmm. And Harry Brown had great respect for human nature. He didn't try to change human nature. He worked within human nature. And he's just the kind of guy who, ah, gosh, just a fantastic, fantastic salesperson because his goal was to simply discover what the other person wanted. Right. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. On my, I did a, a blog post about it at berg.com uh, uh, slash blog. If you, if you um, put in the secret, uh, the secret, of selling, uh, or Harry Brown, B R O W N E. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can read the. It was written in the '60s, so the language is a little bit old in terms of uh, you know words like he are used as opposed to he or she and things right. like that. So I ask people, please don't be offended by that. Uh, he was a gentleman, totally not a male chauvinist. It's just that was the way you know it was written back then. But it's a it's the such a fantastic book. Uh, I would recommend it to anyone and everyone. Okay. Well, here's the toughest question to ask is, what's your favorite music to listen to? Oh, easy one for me. The golden oldies of the late 50s, early 60s. Love that music. Yeah, at the Hop, uh, you know, Mac the Knife, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, uh, the, uh, the, that, the doo-wop. So I, I just absolutely love that. Got it. What's the first sales activity you do every day? Hmm, that is a really good question. The sales activity that I do, because I actually don't start out with a sales activity. Um, you know something? It it just has to do when I have someone to talk to or I have someone that I need to contact. That's a sales activity. So that's what I do. Right. I can't say it's any one one specific thing. Okay. So last question. Okay. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Wow, what a great question. I'm trying to think. I get asked a lot of questions that I'm trying to think that come up. Okay, here here here's one that that that's that's asked a lot. Um does you know, does does being a go-giver mean that if you're dealing with someone who's not a go-giver that you're going to be taken advantage of? And okay. it's a good question based on the 
based on the title of the book. Sure. But I think once someone reads the book, they know the answer to that. All right. So uh, what's the answer be, to the question? Well, being a go-giver first should absolutely never be confused with being weak or being a doormat, okay? So the only way you're gonna get taken advantage of is if you do something in such a way that allows yourself to be taken advantage of. But no, when you're a go-giver, it simply means you are are totally and absolutely focused on bringing value to that other person. If it, But that doesn't mean you don't set yourself up. If you know this person is not the most honorable person, if you know this person is not a win-win person, but a win-lose person, now someone might say, well, why even do business with that person? Well, because there are all sorts of people in the world mm -hmm. and we do business with people. You know, and now obviously if this person's a crook or this person's doing something illegal, immoral, or unethical, no, of course. But no, most most people, that that's not the case. But that doesn't mean that they understand the importance of being a go-giver. Um, they don't understand why that's important. So no, it means you take the high road, you live on the creative plane, uh, but of course there's no reason to think that you would do anything that would allow you to be taken advantage of. It's just not even part of the equation. Yeah, and I think that one of the things I take away from the go-giver is, is, and also from you know the way that I've conducted my sales career, is that if you're confident in the value that you are able to provide, then you're not going to be taken advantage of. Right. Well, exactly. And that's one yeah. of the things I think the go-giver gives you that foundation. If you're looking at, you know, how do you develop, how do you perceive, how do you develop perception of yourself, which I think is one of the real key takeaways from the book, is right. how do you as a seller develop a value-based perception of yourself? And once you read the book and get into it and develop that, then people are going to see that you're not someone that can be taken lightly, but someone that should be dealt with equitably and seriously. Exactly. Oh, very good. Well, Bob, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining me. Oh, my pleasure, Andy. And I, feel, I feel somehow as though we've had this conversation before. <laughs> yes, our deja vu. So, <laughs> <laughs> so my guest today has been Bob Berg, author of The Go-Giver. Bob, how can people learn more about you and The Go-Giver? Uh, best way is just to come to my website, Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. And while they're there, they can take a, a look around and explore the things we have there and just have some fun. So Berg dot com. Sounds good. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Bob Berg who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.